Hello, welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast by Wales Online. I'm Ben James, and as ever, I'm joined by Matthew Southcombe. How are you doing, Benjamin? Not too bad. And yourself? Uh, yeah, it's been a long, long couple of hours. Uh, sorry, long couple of days. Um, That's been a long couple of days, hasn't it? It has indeed. Uh, but yeah, pretty good. You know, it's uh, not not uh, not the weekend going as planned for for Wales. Um, certainly for our predictions as well, which I suppose we'll have to address. At we some will point. have to address those. Uh, before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast, uh, feel free to give it a like. Uh, uh, a review and subscribe to it on iTunes or whatever platform uh, you listen to podcasts on because that does help us massively but as Matthew says it has been a long weekend uh, the rugby season is back it's uh, it was England versus Wales uh, on Sunday uh, Matthew and myself were down at Twickenham yesterday to, to watch it but first I feel we should probably a little bit of humble pie uh, on this podcast you can start with yourself mate I mean we all had Wales winning but somebody had Wales winning by like 30 points yeah, um, I'll hold my hands up. I said 32-14. I did, looking at the two sides, I thought Wales would go there and the experience would show. Um, but as we'll probably get onto a little bit later, there's, without sounding like I'm making excuses, there, there is some very good reasons why Wales perhaps didn't perform as, as you would have seen them in the Six Nations. Um, Although your prediction wasn't exactly too close to the wasn't bang on myself. Let's get it straight. I stand by it. Um, you know, we we got to make these predictions based on the information available to us at any given moment. Uh, we weren't the only ones to predict that Wales were going to win that game. Um, England weren't fancied at all. Um, you know, you got people coming on to us on Twitter. You know, probably England fans giving it this and that, saying, "Oh, you know, how one-eyed you need to be, all this." But you know, fair enough. You you live and die by these predictions, I guess. But um, you know, not. <sighs> Not going to backtrack on what we predicted. Wales should have won that game. Um, they sh- they should have put England to bed. It was the the way it transpired in the end. the the story The story didn't go as we thought it might. And I suppose it's easy to look back now and said we we should have seen this this sort of performance come in, but we had no reason to to believe that this would happen uh, to Wales. England England played well and they fully deserved to win the match from start to finish. Yep. Wales only really got on top for, for a period in the second half. And I must admit, when it came back to 24-19, I thought they were going to go on and win from there. So did Warren Gatland. So did Warren Gatland. England, to their credit, uh, steadied the ship, stopped giving away the penalties that were giving Wales the field position they needed to, to get back into the game and launch attacks. So England were, were fully deserving of, of their victory at Twickenham. Wales won't be hammering the panic button just yet because of the way the game went. Um, if England did a lot of things that, that Wales didn't have answers to or if Wales couldn't cause England any problems, then they'd be a bit more concerned today. But Wales certainly created a number of chances. The The problem was they couldn't take them in the end. And, you know, looking at the first half alone, they left three tries out there. Yeah. Which, you know... Back in the in the Six Nations, when when Wales were firing on all cylinders, those were chances that were being taken. So, not overly concerned with the way things panned out. But yes, it's certainly a a little bit of humble pie this morning for for the Welsh Rugby Podcast. But we go again. Yeah, I think probably the the trap that maybe we fell into is, or well, certainly the one thing I didn't really consider was you, these warm up games. You don't focus on the opposition, you focus on yourself. So had Wales gone into this match like they did in the Six Nations, 
focusing on England and, and planning how to negate England, I still think them two teams, you'd see Wales come out on top. Uh, obviously, as it transpired uh, on Sunday, Wales focused on themselves, which brought some positives, brought some negatives, but that's that's what these warm-up games are here for. You know, you said about attack. Wales sort of moved... Obviously, in the Six Nations, Wales were happy to be patient and go through 25-plus phases. Yesterday, they looked to... Um, to sort of really sort of breach England's wide defence and John Davis, George North, Liam Williams had loads of success with that. But there wasn't the same sort of efficient patience uh, which we saw in the Six Nations. They tried to finish tries off there and then. Once they made the, like Gatlin pointed out, uh, they made every single line break they made in that first half either resulted in a score or a turnover. So that, that it was it was such a a marked contrast the Six Nations but that's something that Rob Howley would have loved to have seen even though they didn't finish off the tries because it showed that Wales's attack is progressing so yeah we we can pick apart the positives um and and sort of forget the the, the predictions that I made I suppose though I mean I wouldn't I don't really buy a lot of that um I know Warren Gatland pointed it out after the match as well that you know they they weren't hugely focused on England this week but they still, they still should have won that game. The the chances, I take your point when he said about you know they, they when they made a line break it was either a try or or a turnover so it's either boom or bust. But I think those are just those are just little errors that crept in. They, you know, like a, Liam Williams is past to George North is half a yard behind him and he can't take it. You know, Wales get turned over after Gareth Anscombe's break counter attack. Um, that's Ross Moriarty. You know, shouldn't be pushed off that ball by Anthony Watson, but he was. Um, you look at the, the break George North made in the second half. He either throws that pass to Dan Bigger and Bigger's away, or you know, what's his other option to run straight into the bloke in front of him? You know, I think he has to throw that pass. It just so happens that Jonathan Joseph tracked back well to to kill that attack. When Wales, when Wales went back to what we know them for, which is sending Hadley Parks up the middle and efficiently clearing up the ball, getting the forwards around the corner and involved, they scored two tries very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say Wales were totally different to what they were in the Six Nations, but there were certainly far more errors. There was certainly far more rust than any of us would, would have expected. And that's not an excuse. Alan Wynne-Jones refused to use that as an excuse because at the end of the day, England haven't played for three months either. Or the English players. So, sorry, obviously England haven't played since Six Nations, but the players haven't played for just as long as the Welsh players. So there's no real excuse in there. Um, but I, I just think it wasn't so much as this was a totally different performance or way of playing that we've seen from Wales in the past. I just think it was more of passes weren't sticking, passes weren't going to hand. You know, more of a concern was the defence for me. They were falling off tackles. They weren't at it, so to speak. Um, and I think in that regard, it's a classic case of England had, say, 10 players who were playing for a place at a World Cup, whereas Wales had 15 men on the field who all knew they were going to the World Cup. Yeah. You know, I said, I alluded before the game that the psychology of this game was very important. Uh, I wrote it in my match preview as well. Everything was stacked up in Wales's favour. They were supposed to win. They were widely fancied by everyone. Um, this was supposed to be another progression on this team's journey towards the World Cup and um, it hasn't gone to plan. Uh, the start was a disaster, 
but in many ways became the perfect test for Wales. And I think Warren Gatland would have been in, would have been not happy with the way they started, but I think he would have viewed it as okay. Well, we're fourteen nil down. England have been rampant. Let's see how the fifteen men on the field go about solving these problems. To their credit, you know, I think, I think they solved them relatively well. I mean, you look at the sort of second quarter of the match when you had Anscombe's break, you had Wales looking dangerous in wide channels, but moves just falling apart at the final moment because of individual errors. So they did come back into the game, and like I said, you know, that that try before half time. It, it kind of smacks of like a, a pre-season decision. Like you, if Wales are playing England in the Six Nations, they don't go to the tail five metres from their own line. They did it. They got it wrong. England scored at the worst possible time. Um, Wales, like I said, came back to 24-19. And at that point, I thought they were going to go on and win. Uh, but, you know, England England fully deserved it in the end. Yeah, looking at looking at that line of decision, you do sort of wonder if there's still... Just a lack of confidence in the line-out. Obviously, you think back to last year, Wales had the best line-out in Test Rugby, and then within sort of the space of a few months, they're the worst line-out in the Six Nations. And, and that was the sort of thing that we saw a lot in the Six Nations. You'd get a lot of sort of decoy runners. The timing was quite off. Like There was two decoy runners, wasn't there, in that line-out? Mm. And by by that point, it then becomes telegraphed that it's going to, it's going to Alan jones at the back. Alan jones isn't the quickest off the ground in lineouts. Ken Owens has given himself a, a tricky throw to go to the back at that at that point, and and you're really sort of closing the window on them timings, which is when you're five meters out. Is, is, I don't is strange. Again, I don't I don't necessarily think it it smacks of a lack of confidence because if there was no confidence in the lineout, they try and get Tipperick up at the front as fast as they could and throw it to him, keep it as simple as possible and throw it straight to him. That that would be a lack of confidence. I think it, it does. I think it is probably the opposite. I think it takes confidence to to push yourself and test yourself with that kind of throw in that kind of scenario. And like I said, I think the only reason they made that decision was because of the the, the game as a friend. You know, the game is essentially their first preseason hit out. And if it was a fully competitive match, I don't think they would have done that. Um, you know, so I think if you're lacking confidence, then you simplify things. I think, as you alluded to, because they were two dummy runners, sorry, two dummy jumpers, uh, and they've gone to the tail in a shortened line-out, I think that probably suggests they are confident. Um, I just think, you know, things were just, again, it's like I said, with the pass is not going to hand. It's just little things. You know, the ball slips is probably an inch too high for Alan Wynne-Jones, or or the lift wasn't, you know, was a split second too late. And and that's all it is. I don't think there, there are any underlying problems with confidence that Wales need to address I just think it's you know it was just one of those days where things weren't sticking I don't know I just, I just it just looked to me like a sort of similar line out to be had in the Six Nations where you just sort you seem to just extend that window of, of, of waiting for the throw to come in with all these different runners and all that and then it goes to the tail that, that, to me I think of it as like a quarterback sort of staying in the pocket in American football, you, you take a five-step drop or three-step drop. The longer the quarterback stays in the pocket, the sort of the more desperate the options become. That's how I sort of think of of, of sometimes extending those sort of pockets of time a, a, a line out with all that stuff, which I think is what Wales did in the Six Nations. And obviously, you know, choosing to go to the back of a, of a line out 
five metres out in, in a friendly game suggests that they're willing to sort of try these things. But I just still think there's probably a couple of underlying issues at the line-out. So what, what, what is the issue with, with, with this, this time that you're alluding to where the action in the line-out starts between Ken Owens throwing the ball in? What, what's the issue with there being that, that sort of time as you alluded to? I just think the, long, the, long, the longer you extend the time, just the more the more increases the time of opportunity like opportunity for errors it allows the opposition line out to sort of start reading where you're going mm. so if you if you literally say Tom Francis usually makes the calls if he makes the calls the forwards walk in and then Ken Owens has ball in hand boom it's up Tipperick at the, at the front within seconds England don't have a chance to do anything but when you start making all these runs Ken Owens has got the ball in his hands and then it goes to the back. England forwards had a chance to sort of read where it's going and do something about it. Obviously, in some regards, it didn't really matter because it slipped through Alan Wynne Jones's hands where Luke Cohen Dickey is, is waiting. But that that's just the sort of problems I saw in the Six Nations. And there was an element of that to the lineup yesterday, but also, as you pointed out, probably there, there wasn't in, in that maybe it's just a, the case of it's a friendly match. It's just before half time. Let's let's try this. Yeah, I think it was probably a bit more of that. Um, I suppose as well. The, the the flip side of that is that if you go to Tipperick at the front, the opposition can read you coming in. So they they see you coming in. They see Tipperick at the front. They see the two lifters in front and behind Tipperick getting ready to lift him, and it doesn't take a genius in that regard. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm not um, I'm not overly concerned with with what transpired there. It just seemed like a, a strange decision. I'm, to go to the tail end one that they wouldn't wouldn't make you know if this if there was anything riding on this game no um obviously we were there at Twickenham um so we were there for the post match press conferences um Eddie Jones as ever managed to sort of throw out some sort of uh, verbal distraction um it wasn't what we expected to be on we thought he might have some sort of little nuggets about uh, Wales missing out on number one in the world. That wasn't the case. He was quite diplomatic on that. It actually happened to be about uh, the red card situation. He's, he deemed it that there should have been two red cards. Um, and we actually have uh, Eddie Jones's audio to listen to now. Um, thought there was an issue with the referee. Um, yeah, we saw a red card yesterday, uh, which affected the game. And potentially, I think we'd need to get some consistency in that area in the game. You know, in the World Cup, you know, if you lose a player through a red card, as New Zealand did yesterday, it makes the game very difficult. And we saw, I thought, two instances today where that could have happened. Um, and I urge World Rugby, um, although I don't think they do anything at great pace, do they? Um, to, to get some consistency in that area because otherwise we're going to have games that are that are being destroyed by by an inconsistent uh, official making a decision on a rule that's on a law that's not clear which were there? oh you can look through the video mate I'll give you a video package well you've obviously got a fresh in your mind Eddie. Uh, well, no 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 you can look at it and see what you think yeah, but we I respect. I, I respect your we opinion. Like to you. Okay, well then we can have a chat about it. So you're not sure. You can go to Gareth. You're not sure. I'm just saying. I thought it was inconsistent, guys. 
So, so the, the Barrett red card yesterday, do you, do you think that was a red card? That should be the start? Oh, I thought it was ridiculous, mate. Um, you know, a bloke gets tackled, he goes to be second man in, and his shoulder hits his head and he gets a red card. But we can't have that in the game. You know, there's got to be some common sense applied. Maybe common sense was applied today really well. But what I'm saying is that then we need to have some consistency and common sense. Okay, so that was what Eddie Jones had to say. Um, quite interesting to hear him sort of uh, talk about Scott Barrett and then suggest that there should have been two red cards in this match. He, uh, he wouldn't be moved on to which to uh, those were, despite some... <laughs> Uh, some pressing from from the media. Yeah, there was it was an interesting exchange, wasn't it? I mean, you know, that's Eddie Jones being Eddie Jones, and one of, one of the na- one of the English national boys, um, national journalist, said to us, uh, "Welcome to our world." After the press conference, because he wouldn't, he wanted to make a point, but refused to to tell us which incidents he was talking about. But you know, we we can assume, and I, I think it's fair to assume that Eddie Jones was referring to first and foremost Alan Davis on George North in that. Sorry, uh, George Ford in that yeah. second half. Um, so let's look at that 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 tackle then. And you know, there, there is a framework for this now. Um, I, I thought that challenge probably warranted a card. I was surprised to see, given the current climate, that there was no card given. And, and there's a framework, and and we've got the framework in here now. So it was a high tackle. First and foremost, and um, that's why he was. That's what Davis was penalised for. Then you look at: Does the arm make contact with the head, neck area, or is it a shoulder or a head that makes contact with the opposition's um, head and neck area? So it was Ali Davis's shoulder yep. that made contact with George Ford's head. Um, and then you look at whether it's um, how dangerous it is. So you you basically got two options there. Uh, and the degree of danger is it dictates whether it's a red or a yellow card. Um, now, he's used a mitigating factor, uh, Matthew Reynal, as George Ford was falling, which is a mitigating factor. Sudden loss of height is a mitigating factor. So that then brings the level of the sanction down by one. So using that logic, Reynal has said initially it was a yellow card because he has deemed that to be a, a low degree of danger. And then using the fall the falling of of George Ford as a mitigating factor, he's taken it down to a penalty. Now, based on what happened in the New Zealand Australia game on Saturday morning, where Scott Barrett was red carded, I kind of feel like Ali Davis is probably lucky to get away without a card in this situation. Yeah, and I you know even though Eddie Jones has, hasn't gone about making his point particularly well and you know he's been quite brash in what he said I think the basis of what he's saying is is not far off there are like there are inconsistencies and you know you see Jonathan Jiffy Davis coming out on Twitter then after the match saying that the World Cup is going to be decided by a referee and decision what are you pulling your face for there? Oh it's just I don't really want to say too much on that to be honest it's, it's, it just it just strikes me as typical sort of ex-pro weighs in on the game saying it's, the game's gone brigade isn't it well I don't think he's saying that I mean what he's what I kind of agree with what they're saying here because there are inconsistencies and and as things stand Eddie Jones was, was right in a lot of the things he said we're going into a World Cup where I, I guarantee you there's going to be a player now who gets a red card and a similar incident in another game is not going to be punished yeah, as as the same. For me, Eddie Jones was arguing sort of the right things but with the wrong sentiment because 
his his whole thing was it's inconsistent, but he says Scott Barrett shouldn't have been a red card initially. So basically, what he's saying is none of these incidents should be red cards. Which well, no, what he's saying is he wanted consistency in those decisions. Yeah, but then he did say afterwards that he, he thought the Scott Barrett red card was ridiculous. Yeah, and he said, and he also said. He called for common sense and said maybe common sense was applied today. So what he asked for was consistency in that in that decision making process. Now where it becomes difficult for referees, um, and and I totally defend them on this, the law is not black and white in rugby. No, you know it is. It it, it will always be left open to interpretation, unfortunately. And the the point at which this gets left open to interpretation is when you are determining whether or not there is. a high or low um, danger. Yeah, it's just it's just words, isn't it? How, how do you? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why you've got to take each each case by case as it comes, and and that's why, unfortunately, it's not going to be it's not going to be black and white. You can't have it. Um, yeah. In a game like rugby. I, I, in the press box, I certainly felt that Alan Davis had gotten away with one there. Um, I can't, I can't remember the Scott Barrett incident off the top of my head, but was Hooper falling into that? Yeah, yeah. So he'd been tackled, and Scott Barrett was coming in as a second. Man. Yeah. Um, I mean, the main difference in in body position there is Scott Barrett's arm is literally by his side. He's led purely with the shoulder. Alid's arm is up for a tackle, but again, he is leading with the shoulder. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's the difference in danger there, um, but. Alan didn't dip into that tackle, did he? So he, no, but his shoulder still made contact with George Ford's head. Yes, yeah, what I'm saying he didn't dip into the tackle. So even if George Ford hadn't have been falling, it, it still would have probably been up towards the neckline. I don't know. It, it's you know if Alan, if George Ford hadn't been falling, Alan Davis might have changed his body position. You know, yeah, you just don't know, do you? I mean, the second instance which we think he's alluding to Eddie Jones is Moriarty on Piers Francis. Yeah. Now, when I saw that, um, I've seen that once, and it was on the replay on the big screen in the stadium, and it didn't look to me like he made contact with with the head. But you know, I'm I'm willing to be told I'm wrong on that, but it certainly didn't look that way to me. Um, yeah. Again, I I didn't really see a good enough replay to sort of tell either way. You know, obviously, it was a crunching tackle between Dan Bigger and Pierce Francis, wasn't it? Which, um, and then. Didn't didn't bigger end up like on his back, like on on Pierre Francis's back? Potentially, yeah. I'm sure that's how it, how it transpired. But anyway, I don't think I don't think my initial reaction to that one was then, you know that that's probably okay. And they checked with the TMO. Yeah. The TMO said no. So I, can, I couldn't tell there. whether Moriarty was sort of trying to ride the force of the tackle, so so to speak, sort mm. of. Yeah, that's certainly take it, it in, or whether he just stood his ground. You, you couldn't really tell in the replay which he was doing. It, it, certainly, so how it looked to me that he was just sort of trying to absorb the tackle as it was as Francis was coming towards him. But um, yeah, I didn't see that one as being much of an issue, to be honest. No. So what's your what's your final sort of yellow card for Alan Davis? Is what you would have thought was fair yesterday? Yeah, just just in the in the current climate, really, and and the way the game's going, you know. I, those are the kind of tackles that they they're trying to sort of outlaw. Um, yes, George Ford was falling. I mean, we saw um, we saw an example, a similar example. I'm, s- I'm sure it was Toulouse against Racing Metro in the Champions Cup last year. The tackle on him off, one him off, where he was he was going down, 
got caught high. I can't remember the Toulouse player. Got caught high as Imhoff was going down and the Toulouse player had a red card. It was in the first half of the game as well, I think. Yeah, that rings a bell. Like, it, was a, it, was a, it was a nasty shot to the head. A lot of people jumped to his defence to say that he was falling and, and that should be used as mitigation. Um, so for that reason, I think the, applying mitigation to the Ali Davis situation should have or very much could have seen it taken from a red down to a yellow. But to see him get away without the card there, I think probably just muddies the waters slightly in yeah. terms of what we're, what we're now supposed to expect from officials. So, you know, it, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. And, you know, it's good that, you know, it's a preseason game at the end of the day, so it still kept its meaning, you know, it's meaningless. And, you know, we move on now. But, yeah, I'm just... You know, you, you, I can see where Eddie Jones is coming from with his comments. Even yeah. if he doesn't doesn't articulate them in the in the best possible way. I suppose the ultimate irony is that is wasn't he on a he was on a panel, wasn't he? Uh, a panel of coaches and referees and all that who came to the conclusion that harsh punishments were the best way to change player behaviour. Which then, if you consider that he's calling Scott Barrett's red card ridiculous, it is. It's it's well, it's typical Eddie, isn't it? Well, you know, we ask at the same time we ask these guys for their opinions on matters, and he, he's got to give them. You know, it's, it's up to him whether or not he stays consistent in those opinions, and and so on and so forth. But you know, Warren Gatlin was asked about it as well afterwards, but wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't go anywhere near it. Um, it was a one word answer. It was a it was a, a short and sharp answer. Yeah. So you know, I, I see where Eddie Jones is coming from. Um, given the current climate, I, I am surprised Alec Davis didn't get a card. Um, but I, I don't still, think could still be cited. Possibly, I think they've got to deem it to be worth a red card to be cited. And like we said, I haven't applied the mitigation. Uh, I don't think it warranted a red. So I think we just park that and move move forward now. I thought you meant to be the podcast now, or, no. do you, or do you mean Alan Davis? <laughs> no, I mean I mean the Alan Davis thing. I think we've uh, waffled on for long enough about the um, the laws and the technicalities of of rugby. So. Well, yeah, I tell you what, it seems as good a time as ever. Uh, we'll be right back and we'll, we'll be speaking to Mark Orders. Right, OK, so we're joined now by uh, rugby writer Mark Orders to uh, look back on uh, England versus Wales. Um, so, Mark, what, what, what were your initial thoughts on uh, yesterday? Well, I mean, it was... Um, there's, there's no doubt about it. it. It was the first game of the season performance and you know wheels were incredibly rusty and uh you know they, they they for long periods they didn't look at the races to be honest there they, and they need to be as well the type of game they play with their their defenses they, they've got to be at, at it in every game given the sort of ferocity they they tend to bring to their defensive efforts and i just thought that you know for for long periods of that game especially in the first half, actually. first 20 minutes was, was just saloon door defending, really. And, um, and Wales weren't quite at it. And uh, it took them a little while to get into the match. And players who are sort of uh, defensive bulwarks, uh, usually, were sort of missing tackles and you wouldn't expect that. But, you know, the, the plus side of it, uh, they, Gareth Anscombe did quite look the part. Um, Gareth Davis scored an absolute peach of a try. North and, uh, and Jonathan Davis played well. And um, 
Aaron Wainwright, I thought, was quite good as well in the uh, in, in the back row uh, in a particular kind of way, you know. Yes. Yeah, so, so, were you surprised by how sort of Wales set up to play? Because obviously, in the Six Nations, they uh, they had a clear tactic on how to stop England. Uh, but yesterday was very much a case of Wales focusing on themselves, wasn't it? Which probably played into England's hands. Well, I mean, that's, that's in a way, it's fair enough. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the whole purpose of these matches is to prepare for the World Cup. I mean, it would have been nice to win. It would have been nice to have extended that uh, a long winning run. But it'll be even nicer if, if Wales sort of do really well at the at the World Cup. I would have thought that uh, that would be Warren Gatland's view. And... Um, you, you could see, you know, they, they were in their 22 at one point and Gareth Anscombe chipped the ball out of defence and, you know, that, that was quite risky and quite bold and perhaps I'm not sure if he'd 100% done that against England in the Six Nations. So, look, yeah, you know, they, they obviously uh, sort of uh, trying to develop their game and uh, trying to sort of add little bits on and, uh, and prepare for the World Cup. So, you know, it wasn't all about winning. And, uh, you know, yeah, the... That record is gone, but you know maybe you, you could look at it and say that a long uh, winning record can be a bit of a, a sort of burden, if you like, because people feel under pressure to maintain that run. So it's gone, and uh, yeah, Wales could carry on, you know, sort of preparing um, for you know the, the big tournament next month. Marcus Matthew, mate. Uh, I am actually. You, know, you know me, mate. I like to I like to cut to the chase on things like this. How worried. Uh, should Wales and, and Welsh fans be after what transpired at Twickenham? Um, well, <laughs> I, I think I think it's too soon to uh, to start panicking. I really do. I mean, uh, it, it's it's a friendly game. They they kicked off in 2011 against England, and uh, they lost at Twickenham. And then the following week, they defeated them. I think with England. I think they are a team. They went out on tour, I think, to New Zealand uh, a few years ago, you know, and they, they were missing an entire first team uh, of players. And uh, people say that they're, they're in for a thrashing. But they have got as much depth, arguably, as any country in world rugby. And I think their top three sort of sides are pretty much interchangeable anyway, really. And, and that side that was on the, the pitch yesterday, double underlines the strength of... Uh, strength and depth of English rugby, so it was it was still a good side that Wales lost to. I mean, obviously, it was really really disappointing to lose or, or see England put thirty three points uh, on Wales. But at the end of the day, it, it, it was a friendly match. It was a sort of first game of the season blowout, and uh, on first days of the season. Uh, you know, so that that kind of thing can happen. But Gatlin will be looking to see if there are improvements next week and just steady progression. I mean, in, in 2015 as well, when they played Ireland and Cardiff, they got absolutely taken apart. I think it was 35-21. And uh, two weeks later, they beat Ireland in Dublin. So I think it's a bit soon to panic. And, um, you know, if they, uh, if they come badly and stuck in Cardiff and then sort of... Uh, Take a pound in Dublin, then perhaps it's all time. Uh, it's time that uh, we we could start panicking. But at this point, I think you know, cool head and and see how it progresses. 
So you expecting a response then uh, next week? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you you would expect a response. It's, it's, it's a Gatlin side, isn't it? Really, you know. And after a defeat, he is good at sort of uh, sort of uh, affecting an upturn the following week. We've seen it over the years. But again, I, I, I sort of do stress that it, it is all about preparing for the World Cup. You know, the results of these matches are not. Well, they're not fantastically important, you know. It's it's September twenty, really, that uh, that matters. But you know, clearly, he will want to see some kind of improvement, and he will, he really will want uh, to ensure. I don't know how he does it that uh, no more of his big players are injured because uh, that Anscombe injury looked a bit of a concern. Well, that, that's it. That is probably the most concerning thing to come out of yesterday, isn't it? You know, look. We don't know. I think Gareth Ascombe's having a scan today, which is was mon- Monday. We don't know quite what the extent of that injury will be. It could be could be weeks, could be longer, couldn't it? Um, but I suppose that probably uh, leaves the idea of t- Wales taking two fly halves to the World Cup. Probably that's that's probably out the window now, isn't it? If Ascombe is an injury worry, that's a real shame. Uh, if Ascombe is uh, ruled out. Because he, he could play, he could double up as well and he play in the back three. And he just looked the part, you know, for um, 20 minutes yesterday with his, with his, with his vision and, and pace. I, I, I thought he looked quite good, you know, as good as he's ever looked, really, in a Welsh jersey. Um, oh, you know, you, Gatlin's got to think on his feet and react to, to what's going on. Um, bigger, if Anscombe is ruled out, presumably uh, uh, Bigger will uh, be upgraded to... Uh, first choice, and then it's a it's a straight call between um, Patchell and uh, Jared Evans, and uh, you know that's uh, that that call would presumably be made uh, not just on their performances last season, but how they trained and just how the coaches feel really they they are mentally and you know how ready they are for the World Cup. Um, but yeah, let's 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 keep fingers crossed really with uh, with Anscombe because. Uh, it, it did look a bit concerning. There we go. I think that's uh, that's everything from uh, you, Mark. Sounds uh, sounds like you're enjoying your Monday, though. Uh, the post, the Monday blues seem to have gone now that we got rugby back on the uh, on the agenda. Yeah, we had a few rug- <laughs> a few Monday blues from you last time, Mark. You, you seem a bit more upbeat this time. Now we've got some rugby to talk about. <laughs> well, you know, the, the weekend wasn't uh, the weekend wasn't fantastic. <laughs> you know, I worked all day yesterday. Saturday morning, I carried ten bags of stone stones through the house, and uh, I did watch a bit of a Columbo film on uh, an old Columbo film on Saturday night and read a newspaper. But I got to be honest, it was in my top ten weekend. Oh, I, I remember you, that. You know how to live, mate. I tell you that. I tell you what, that is the highlight. <laughs> that'll be that'll be straight in my top five weekends. I think. <laughs> <laughs> there we are yeah good fun brilliant uh, brilliant as uh, ever Mark cheers for speaking to us alright thanks very much lads cheers ok so it's time for the fan questions we got some uh, good ones today so let's uh, let's get straight into it first one is from Thomas Dan on Facebook and he asks do you think the loss today was due to a lack of game preparation and too much emphasis on fitness in recent um, weeks I can understand why that might be the the first thing people look at I've actually seen seen a few suggestions from a few pundits out there that Wes looked tired um, I, I didn't see that myself, i got to be honest Rusty perhaps Rusty, yeah, I didn't think they looked tired I mean they weren't at it in the first 20 minutes and that's where England were rampant but 
I wouldn't say they look tired. Um, in terms of uh, too much fitness in, in training, that, Wales have actually done more rugby in training, you know, rugby skills and work on their shape than they have done in previous years. I know for a fact that they were they were they were fitter when they arrived in camp this time around compared to four years ago. Therefore, four years ago they had to spend a lot more time in Switzerland and, and in the, the early weeks of their camp working on that fitness. This time they brought the rugby and the shape and, and working on their skills brought that into their their regime a lot earlier. So they've actually done more training, uh, you know what what you would call rugby training in that regard. So I don't think it's it's too much of an emphasis on fitness. I think it's just it was just rusty. You, you, they were making mistakes. Passes were slightly off. It wasn't quite what we'd come to expect from them. But as I've said earlier, it's, it doesn't come as an excuse because England were in the same boat. I just think things didn't stick. They made a few decisions they wouldn't normally make, um, and, and it just didn't go their way on the day. And, and that's why I'm not massively concerned because they did make chances. I think the defensive problems that England caused them, particularly through the middle, were were more concerning. But I think that's fixable. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of Wales's problems stemmed uh, from the breakdown. They weren't able to slow down England. And it's very difficult to win the gain line when the speed of ball from the ruck is so fast. So I'd look at Wales's back row. Did they do enough at the breakdown? Justin Tipperick didn't see him as effective in that part of the game as he has been. Felt like the quietest game he's probably had for Wales in yeah, so, some time, didn't it? You know, and then when you've got quick ball and you've got big runners coming down your channel, Billy Vunipolas, you know, those sorts of guys, Tom Curry, you know, I know he was only on for twenty odd minutes, but he had a big impact in that opening quarter. And you know the big England, you know the big second rows, Launchbury and Ewells. You know those are big guys to stop. And when you've had to backpedal so fast and get set quickly because the ball is so fast at the breakdown, I think that's where the issues came from for Wales. And I think that's where England pretty had a lot, lot of joy really. Absolutely. Uh, next question is from Thomas James Hoyles. Do you think it's a uh, missed opportunity? Um, clearly, Gatlin showed his trademark uh, lack of sentimentality and going full on for the World Cup. But if Wales had become number one in the world just for a few weeks, surely that's an achievement in itself and a, a legacy that puts Gatland in a position that few other coaches have ever reached. I think it's, it's a very valid point. I think it is is a missed opportunity in that regard. I, I think you, you have to look at it that way, you know. As we mentioned last week, New Zealand have been world number one for like 500 weeks. You know, it's it's a run that has gone on for, for a decade um, and to usurp them as, as the official world number one would have been an outstanding achievement. And you know, you can we can sit here till we're blue in the face talking about how how relevant these rankings are. And as most people have said after the game, including Warren Gatland, if they got to number one, it would have been nice. But it, it all matters. The only thing that matters is who's top of the tree in Japan in yeah. in a couple of months' time. So you know, it, it would have been a great achievement, and I do think it is a missed opportunity in that regard. But I think there is a, a bigger picture to, to consider. Okay, next question. Nathan Long. Is Dylan Lewis's scrummaging a concern? Every time he's on the field, he struggles in the set piece and gets constantly penalised. I mean, I worry that we might m- maybe hostage at the moment. Yeah, um, you know, Tom- Thomas Francis uh, didn't have a, have a comfortable day no. at the office either. Um, neither did Nicky Smith, to be perfectly honest with you. So, I mean, the scrum was a concern across the board, not just Dylan Lewis. Um, 
I think Dylan Lewis's work around the field is is more of a plus point than his scrummaging, particularly at the breakdown, and he's a good carrier. Uh, again, you know, like I said, we didn't have a lot of joy at the breakdown, so I'd be looking more at, at asking questions about why he wasn't playing to his strengths a bit more. He carried a lot, but not with great effect, really. But then that, that probably goes for a lot of Wales's forwards. Exactly. Didn't exactly. I mean, you know, I, I worry about Tarin, you know, picking out individuals in this instance because the scrum as a whole didn't function very yeah. well at all. Um, and I think that's something they have to go back and look at as a forward pack and not just individuals. You know, Ellis Genge had the beating of of Thomas Francis in the first half, and and like I said, Nicky Smith was was not having the best of days either. You know, people can say what they want about Dan Cole scrummaging, but until he gets penalised, it's something you've got to sort out and deal with yourself. So, I think you were you were losing a few hairs, weren't you, on his angles? At times no, in the press well, box. no, I just saw. You know, there was there was one um, one scrum that was quite close to the press box, and. You know, he was he was he was pretty much driving towards the tunnel and, you know, straight back across the halfway line and you just think, Well, if you're Nicky Smith, how are you supposed to deal with that? But uh, you know, it's it's one of those where if the if the touch judge doesn't see it then you know, Nicky Smith and Ken Owens have got to try and sort it out because yeah. at the end of the day if Cole is going straight in on Ken Owens then you know, it's something they've got to sort out between them. But Again, you know, I, I wouldn't want to pick out too many individuals in that scrummaging performance because as a front row and as probably a tight five, they need to try and look at that and address it as a, as a group. It's interesting you say about um, sort of these things being fixable quite quickly because obviously Gatlin said that a lot of the issues were fixable, but for some reason the scrum never strikes me as one that would be so quickly fixable. I don't claim to know a great deal about the dark arts of the front row, but... Well, it, Wales are in the last... During this winning run they were on, the scrum has, hasn't been a massive concern no. of mine. You know, I, I cast my mind back to Argentina, where we were taking on supposedly the best or one of the best scrummaging teams in the world, and uh, you know we didn't have any issues out there. Um, held we've held our own against big packs like South Africa in in that winning run as well. So I don't see it as an issue. I just think it was symptomatic, you know, the, of the performance on the day. I think the rest, you know. The rustiness and the shape in which Wales were across the board manifested itself in two areas, and that was the scrum and the defence. And I, I just think it those those two points served to illustrate, you know, the manner in which they lost the game. I, I just think you know it, things weren't quite where they needed to be, and as such, England England took them apart in those areas. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, next question from. Later, Nicholas, were Wales overconfident, having just been confirmed the unofficial number one team in the world uh, against an experimental side? I wouldn't have said so. I mean, you know, there's a lot of noise being made externally. Uh, we were as bad as anyone on this podcast last week. You know, we piled the pressure on Wales. You know, we were the ones that were confident. I think Wales, Wales themselves. I think they're a, they're a steady group. I think they know they're comfortable with who they are and what they're about. They don't need to they don't need to scream and shout about it. They don't think they're anything that they're not. Um, so I don't think they would have been going into this one overconfident. I think they would have been as alert as ever because they would have been conscious of the fact that despite the, the likes of us screaming and shouting about how good. Wales are and how they should beat the second string England side. They 
they would have been feeling that expectation and that pressure and they wouldn't have wanted to let anyone down uh, and like we said they had the, the world number one ranking on the, on the line so I don't think I don't think they underestimated England. You know that I said on the podcast last week that that forward pack is a formidable forward pack. Yeah. Uh, and as we found out, they got turned over in the scrum, and the breakdown was was no success there for Wales at all. So, you know, I, I don't think they would have underestimated the challenge that England posed. And I think a few of them, England backs, would have played themselves into a uh, in contention as well. Like you look, Jonathan Joseph cut us to shreds at times, didn't he? Off. Yeah, I mean, you know, first phase defence seemed to be a bit of an issue for Wales, which maybe is not not to be expected after such a long. But you can you can understand sort of why there there are those sort of chinks in the armoury. No, Jonathan Joseph's a great player, you know, and especially if he's playing in a side that got front football, you know, he's taking on defences that are not organised and not set, and he's a he's an elusive, he's quick, he's he's a dangerous player in those wide channels, and you know, Jonathan Davis had his hands full there, no no doubt about it, but. you know, like I said, I'm not not overly concerned with with how things panned out, and I I certainly don't think Wales were underestimating the challenge that that was lying ahead of them. So yeah, let's uh, let's end the podcast on a positive. I suppose it's not not necessarily been a negative uh, podcast, but it's been a lot of humble pie in that's for sure. But yeah, this is a, a positive question. It comes from David Shoulders, and it is what excites you most about the uh, the Welsh team. Let's look at the positives from from yesterday. Then I think two that spring to mind will be George North and, and Gareth Davis. If you start with Gareth Davis, uh, you know a man who constantly has to listen to people calling for Reese Webb to come back into the Welsh squad, and you know at the end of the day, he's he's not really putting many foot, feet wrong. I mean, he scores a lot of tries, and he scored another cracker yesterday, and it came out of nothing really. And uh, until that point, Wales had nothing to sort of bounce off and nothing to spark them into life. So. You know he, that's what he does best. He's a live wire, left four defenders clutching at thin air. You know, shrugged off Billy Vanapola, which is no mean feat, and you know scored a cracking try. So you know, I think the his kicking does remain a, a slight concern, but I think there were two things that sort of shook him a little bit. There was that one where he tried to box kick, and as he dropped the ball to kick it, somebody tackled him from behind. That's always a bit uncomfortable. And then there was the one where uh, he got charged down. But I, I think that's just more of an organisational thing where they should have set up a few more players in front of him as as most professional rugby sides do now. And I think that kind of shook him a little bit yeah. and his kicks that followed were slightly slightly conservative. But um, a North as well, uh, you know, I, I keep going on about him on the podcast. I think he had another great game yesterday, and and he's showing signs that he could be about about to really, really fire for Wales. And you know, picked up another try yesterday. That'll do his confidence the world of it was, good. It was good seeing him like where where he was in that try as well. You know, just in the first, first man in support at the, at the breakdown. Yeah, quick pick and go. That's nice to sort of see that from George it, North, isn't th- it? There was a great take as well in the first half. Aerial yeah. um, ball came over his shoulder. Had to jump up in a lot of traffic and take that one. That's not an easy skill. And, you know, people can question him aerially sometimes, but I think it's a part of his game he's really worked on. Um, and he caused a, a few problems out wide, in, in, in particularly in the first half as well, during yep. that during that purple patch for Wales in between sort of 20 minutes and half time. So, you know, I think Wales can, can be quite confident with where he's at as well. He's always looking for support as well, wasn't he? There was, um, obviously there was the pass sort of, the, the off-the-shoulder pass to Dan Bigger coming yeah. around the corner, which didn't quite come off. Didn't but come off, yeah. There was a time when Jonathan Davis, who again had a fantastic game in, in attack, um, 
it was a two on two out wide. Uh, John Davis just went straight at the outside man. Sort of typical sort of barge, little offload. Took the two men out of the game, and then mm. North. I think there was two defenders in front of him, so he just went straight through the middle of them, and then flicked an offload. I, I think Ants can put it down, but yeah, he did. Yeah, it was good to see that from George North, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And you know, he's the kind of person who attracts defenders and and, and can create space for other people. So if he's trying those offloads, then you know they're going to stick eventually. You know, the more they, the more that he gets comfortable doing that. So. If you imagine that he's running in between two defenders, they both come towards him and he can develop the ability to flick it out the back of that tackle to to a support runner, that's going to result in line breaks. And, you know, it's, it, you know take my word for it, he's, he's certainly going to going to be a factor in the next few weeks and, and hopefully in the World Cup as well. Absolutely. I think that is all for today's uh, Welsh Rugby podcast. Yes. Uh, we will be back. When will we be back, Matthew? Uh, team announcements on Thursday this week, so we'll be back with a podcast on Thursday for you after, same as last week, after all the um, the press conference stuff um, following the actual announcement. On that note as well, Wales expected to go fully fully loaded again. Asked Warren Gatlin about this after the game and, and the plan is to go as strong as they can. Uh, next week so don't don't expect many shocks on on Thursday but um, I'm sure we can provide some entertainment on uh, on Thursday afternoon we'll try our best. I suppose there's only sort of it's only who comes onto the bench really sort of fly half is probably the, the main sort of yeah I mean we should probably just touch on that before we finish my my take would be Reese Patchell yeah. um, you know his his confidence has, has been in a bit of a low ebb towards the, the back end of last season um, so I'd expect Patchell to come onto the bench big at the start there um, you know, at scrum half, I think probably go as they went to Twickenham with Alan Davis on the bench and, and Gareth Davis starting. Uh, apart from that, Justin Tipperick had a, a rolled his ankle, but that, that wasn't too much of a concern. Adam Beard had an issue with his wrist. Yeah, but, wrist strain. Uh, that was x-rayed and, and all came back clear, so I don't think there's any concerns there. So they got a couple of niggles to manage, but the only changes I think we'll see probably be Bianskin probably won't be involved and, and that'll bring, I assume, Reese Patchell onto the bench. Well, there we go. So yeah, we'll be back Thursday. Uh, in the meantime, you can catch all the, the latest news uh, on Welsh Rugby ahead of the team announcement on Wales Online. And we'll be answering your questions, of course, on Thursday. So keep an eye out for the social media posts and make sure to reply to them with your questions and we'll get through as many of them as we can. But until then, goodbye.